Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party is right across from me. Rebecca, good to see you. Good to be here, Matt. And Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action, is also with us. Robert. Good day, everyone. So we have a lot to talk about. It's been a very busy week um, since we last recorded. A joint finance committee did what we expected last week, and that was um, obviously removing a number of very important things uh, from Governor Evers' budget. They didn't suddenly decide to support Governor Evers' budget? No. No, they didn't. Um, But there was obviously good theater. Robert, I know you were there to witness essentially what was happening, and, and tons of members. We had the SEIU, Citizen Action, a number of folks uh, had about 50 people come and, and witness and, and what And our members happened. did a fantastic job holding their tongues and keeping decorum as Republican legislators told falsehood and misleading mm-hmm. lie after falsehood and misleading lie, so they did a great job. There were a couple people dragged out, but they were more, they were more folks, some of your Madison folks that like doing that it wasn't, wasn't our members <laughs> like to, no and, these are good folks but that's their that's their thing right well <laughs> all right so obviously a number a number of things happened we want to remind folks this is just this was expected this does not mean this is the end right governor evers has the strongest veto in the country this is far from done and this is now about the state senate the state assembly and keeping constant pressure on all these state senators and state reps because every one of them is going to have to go vote on it and they all sort of have their own you know ability to cast uh, their opinion about what they think about badger care or any of the other things that were removed from the budget and let me give you an example because i want to encourage people to keep making those phone calls and get everyone you know to make those phone calls uh and even to the democrats because it makes them more forceful but especially to the republicans so dale koyunga a uh, freshman state senator, former state representative, rising star in Republican Party. Some people think the next Paul Ryan-like figure, you know, veteran, all this stuff. Uh, barely won his election against Citizen Action member Julie Henze in the western Milwaukee suburbs and eastern Waukesha County suburbs. And, uh, and she ran on Medicare for All. And he is under such pressure on this, so many calls, because our members were calling and giving reports, that his staff uh, started this week uh, telling people that he's not like the others, that Senator Koenga is open to compromise and would like to find a way to take the money. And members kept calling, kept calling. And so then they actually, the staff, started referring them to the Joint Finance Committee and said this had nothing to do with Dale. Now, these are his constituents, <laughs> and they're referring people to state reps and state senators from other districts who have been appointed to Joint Finance Committee. And then the coup de grace is, is that Kevin Kane of Citizen Action, who lives in his district, actually got a call from Dale Koenga personally, who seems to be calling down his call list, telling him that he's very open to compromise and he's not like the others and he's trying to be reasonable and pragmatic. Now, no actual solutions were offered. And we don't say this as to say like, hey, you know, Dale's really actually going to make a change, but he might. And that shows that the pressure matters. It's really uh, having an impact. And again, um, he's not exactly considered a moderate. So no. please, folks, don't just assume because, you know, 
your fo- your representative has never voted for Badger Care that that they might not change. There's a tremendous amount of public pressure, seventy percent support. There are statewide radio ads, digital ads, other our, other partners are, are are running ads. There's a lot of stuff going on, and we're going to be planning more activities, lobbying days uh, uh, in district. In Madison, and uh, later in June, we'll talk more at another show. Some uh, potentially some uh, actions around the state uh, as this continues to develop, but uh, we're not giving up on it. So, I wanted to talk about other issues that have been happening at the state level, and I'm I'm going to put it in the broader context of the news that came out yesterday that Wisconsin has a little bit more money than they thought. Uh, for their state budget. In fact, it's uh, $753 million. And so the question that I'm throwing to the panel, right, for a broader conversation is, you know, what what should we be doing with that money? Um, I'll start by just letting everybody know Governor Evers essentially wants to put the bulk of it, about 600 of it, 600 million of it, into a rainy day fund, put some resources, I think, into tech schools and worker training and a couple other things. But essentially put the money away. Is this really what we should be doing? You know, I think what's important for us to consider is that uh, we have been starving government in so many ways over the past, um, you know, couple Walker administrations. We've been starving our public schools. We've been starving public infrastructure. And so this is this um, additional revenue that we have isn't like money that we have nothing to do with. It's money that we haven't spent because we haven't been spending the money we need to run this government effectively, which is why the people of Wisconsin voted for Tony and Mandela uh, to be governor and lieutenant governor because they their roads were crumbling, can't, there's a teacher shortage, on and on, right? Lead water, um, all, all these issues. So I think, you know, the additional revenue is money that should have been spent towards actually running our state effectively and hasn't been. And so to the extent that we can use some of that to mitigate some of these these issues that we have, and, and in large part, I think that's, you know, even without the additional revenue, that's what the Evers budget is attempting to do, right? To make progress on, you know, lead poisoning in the water, make progress on, you know, special education needs, like on and on and on. So I think like to the extent that we can use some of this money towards some some of the some of the things that have been so like chronically underfunded and I guess my understanding is that the Evers administration wants to use it for workforce which I think is good but wouldn't be the only thing that I could think of that we would do with this money um, I definitely think putting some of it in a rainy day fund is is prudent because I think we are like you know obviously most economists will tell you like approaching some kind of maybe people would say another recession, other people would say a capitalism crisis. And I think like having some money is going to be really important, particularly for a state like Wisconsin that doesn't have, um, you know, huge natural resources, like say in Alaska or like on a coast where people are moving to, to start, you know, gigantic tech industries. So like we, we've got to think about the long-term health of our economy. I don't know. What do you think, Robert? Well, I think you're totally right. The reason that we have a, uh, an unexpected increase in revenue is because of how the economy is going. Let me flag, it's going well into the victim activity. Child poverty, poverty is going up. So there's still, not like everyone's doing well, but it's producing more revenue, right? And that's clearly temporary. I mean, Trump may have crashed the economy with the trade war with China already. We may be, we've already seen a 1400 point drop in the stock market. So this idea that happy days are here again, it's the 1920s and there's not going to be a great recession or worse is just silly. But I, and by the way, we should never, I want to banish from our lexicon, and you didn't use it, the word fiscal conservative, because they're not. 
because they've, they've run up most of the trillions of dollars of deficit under Reagan, but the second Bush and under Trump. And uh, literally, these guys just want to spend the money so that we can't make investments and can't use government for positive purposes. I mean, county and local governments are starving for revenue. And in this state, the state controls all of it. And they're saying, oh, let's have a tax cut. And by the way, that it'll structure it in a way so it goes disproportionately to wealthier people, right? Or we just want to make uh, kind of uh, you know consumer expendi- expenditures that aren't real investments. But where I would differ, because Tony Evers, I want to make this a balanced way. What he is proposing is sort of like when someone suggests when you get some money to put in a CD. It's a safe, reasonable, prudent, prudential approach. So I would, I would actually propose, so I'm saying he's way better than the other side, okay? But I would suggest, just to give the family budget uh, scenario, that it might be really smart to put it in a CD. It's safe. You won't lose it. Uh, but if, if, if your kid needs money to go to college, the benefit you get out of your kid going to college uh, is far greater long-term in terms of the investment than having it in a CD. So I'm going to suggest to you that putting people to work to take out lead pipes, putting people to work uh, to increase renewable energy dramatically in order to both save money because it actually pays for itself in a couple of years and put people to work and further generate economic activity for people who are left out of the economy, that would be a better investment of this money. And that's like sending your kid to college rather than putting the money in a CD. But you can't argue with the vanilla kind of approach of let's put it away in a rainy day fund and pay down some debt. Well, and, you know, I'm sure that if Governor Evers had the ability to, like, govern in partnership with the legislature, that he would be bolder in what he's proposing. I mean, he's pretty his budget is, is like even without this additional revenue is like pretty great. Um, in some ways it is. In some ways sure. it's very disappointing. But I want to say that centrist Democrats, and I don't think we don't know exactly. You may be right what Tony would do with full control, like Bill Clinton, uh, saved all sorts of money for the Republicans to spend in the next administration. And so as soon as there's a Republican governor, he's spending down, it's probably a he because of their party, a rainy day fund. So we did be aware of that, whereas we make major investments, those investments keep paying no matter what they do with the money later. Yeah. Well, this is actually a really critical issue uh, because, I mean, I'll just say, I'm disappointed there isn't more of a bolder proposal along the lines of what Robert is saying, because we're in such a hyper-political situation, and and I don't believe that what the budget did addresses the pent-up need of what we really need to make those long-term investments, so I would have loved to have seen uh, seen him more in that direction. But with that, we got to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We are talking about what has been happening in our state the last week, a number of things. And um, we wanted to start by talking about the budget, right, and how the revenue uh, projections have changed. Um, but things are there are other issues going on and uh, that were mentioned, and lead pipes uh, came up uh, last week as a part of the uh, joint finance actions This in the in this past week, uh, the money to go and help communities redress the uh, lead pipes was taken out. Um, Robert, you mentioned this in terms of, I think you both may have actually mentioned this in terms of, this This is something we ought to be spending money on. And it, it wasn't would be even great, very much yeah. for lead pipes. I mean, it, would, it was very uh, reasonable in that it was not taking out all the lead pipes, though I think you could certainly make that argument. I'm very curious what Rebecca thinks, though, about 
uh, the implications of we're just going to strike it. We shouldn't do anything on lead pipes. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because it is. I was just looking on my phone because I was trying to find some a great series of tweets from Melissa Baldoff, who works for uh, the governor. I, I can't find it right now, but um, she generally is a good person to follow on Twitter. I think I, I appreciate the the wit and clarity that um, she brings to the issues. But you know, it's an interesting issue um, that Republicans have to confront, right? Because it's something that truly impacts you know folks, whether we're you know, the aging infrastructure across the state um, is a huge issue. And so therefore, it's not only in Democratic districts, but Republican districts as well. However, the um, the resources and activity that one would need to bring to bear to actually confront that is is huge and like multifaceted in a way that like I think many um not we won't call them fiscal conservatives because Robert has banned that from the show, but you know many <laughs> many Republicans would find to be like big government, right? So you, it, the huge infrastructure, the issues with people's property and and you know their domain. I mean, there might have to be like mandating that people on the lead laterals from the street to their house that they have to do something about then maybe they won't there's like all of these issues that we would have to go because again like the issue is not just the public sphere of the infrastructure it's our homes mm -hmm. right so there's like all of these issues around that then you have workforce development which is a, a major component of governor evers plan and it has to be because we just don't have people sitting around in wisconsin who already know how to do this at the scale that it needs to be done to ameliorate this problem, which is like a real problem, particularly for children, because as we know, lead really impacts their development. So it's something that like, if we were to deal with this in a way that would be um, impactful for the constituents of these Republican legislators, many of these constituents, probably Republicans, it would require what some would think of as really big government on lots of different levels. And so it's, it's a tough and thorny problem, and I commend Governor Evers for trying to take it on. Um, and I think Republicans keeping their head in the sand, um, you know, at some point it's going to really come back to bite them, I think. Well, they're going to, because their ideology is one that is not, cannot solve our most pressing problem in the 21st century. It's a completely outmoded, selfish ideology designed to enrich large corporations and the wealthiest among us, period. And they have an anti-government ideology that's nonsensical, and the folks they've elected, they've deliberately elected as many people as possible who couldn't think outside the ideology, even if they even if they got any qualms, right? They would still snap back. I mean, do we think we're going to convince Andre Jacques that his whole theory of life, that everything is, is improved by shrinking government? He's just not. He's a true believer, right? And you can go on and on like that. They do, some of them who are more political, get worried about losing their seats, and then they'll adjust temporarily for that, and that's where we might be able to win some votes occasionally if, if the margins get close. But in general, there's a problem with modern conservatism, and it's a threat to a lot of things. It's, it's, a, it's Right now, it's a threat to global stability and the global economy and uh, whether the survival of the species because of its inaction on global warming, which it is, which it is completely committed to. You know, this is why... Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's program um, proposal for a Green New Deal is so important because the challenges presented to our environment by, you know, global climate change that we are creating, but also by like our just real inattentiveness to like safeguarding our environment and our infrastructure now require like massive investment and change and on a scale that like we haven't. And, and if we had been like doing the right thing all along, I don't think that we would be at this point, but we are at this point. And so 
uh, you know, there's just no way to get around it. We can either delay the inevitable until it really gets to a crisis or we can we can start to to do the things that would today that would make things better. I mean, the opportunities available, you know, when it comes to the workforce development component of this to train people to do this work that then could be a skill that they have for the rest of their lives. Wisconsinites, you know, who are, who are working, whether it's, you know, on, on laterals and lead issues or whether it's, you know, taking that skill set to doing other things in the building trades or opening a small business and a shop, a metal shop in their community, whatever it is, like the, the dividends of that will keep on giving to the stability of our communities. Um, so it's like both a challenge, but also an opportunity to like really invest in people. And the core of it is this, they actually believe, and we need to put a finer point on this, they actually believe that there is a right, an individual right, by an individual corporate CEO, a whole corporation, a whole corporate global elite, right, to make money no matter what, period, with no, 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 no heedless to the consequences. So they really believe it's okay. They try to deny it, catch politically unpopular, that it's okay for insurance companies to figure out how not to insure sick people and cut them off when they get sick. They actually believe pharmaceutical companies should be able to charge $1,000 for a pill we developed, right, that cost them five cents to produce, uh, which literally causes half the people who need it not to get it, so they die, that that's okay. And so they also believe at a planetary level that's okay for this generation of corporate leaders to endanger the lives of hundreds of millions of people, because the difference between what we've done so far, which is about a, a degree and a half Celsius, and what it would be to do four more versus another degree and a half more, is devastating. It's like life and death for the species. We've already changed the climate. We have already created a situation where the climate is entirely different than, it, than, than the climate in which we evolved as a species. Uh, the question is, how much worse is it going to get? And, it, and literally, if we want to limit it to about 1.5 degrees Celsius, which is which still could be very, very destabilizing. Okay. We need to do a Green New Deal now. And how many even Democrats are, are, are actually committed to that? Well and we're not even talking about that right now, yeah. but well, but it's yeah. about the philosophy. Totally, right? totally. Yeah. Well look, I mean this all started in this broader conversation about what you do with resources, right? Yeah. And then it gets back to Robert's both I think both your points about the kind of investments we would make longer term. Um so there is one other thing that like is connected to this ideology that we have to talk about and they believe that states should compete against each other and countries against each other for capital and for the favors of corporate capital and that includes yeah. Foxconn and so we need to bring up Foxconn because you know 4 billion is nothing we want to just sort of ignore um couple things this week it's worth pointing out that the project manager from Mount Pleasant who's uh, Managing the whole Foxconn uh, project. Doing a bang up job. By the way, I should say not for Mount Pleasant. Doesn't actually is not a public employee. This is a private contractor. Uh, Got twenty five percent increase this week. Plus, any time over time, paid an extra hundred fifty bucks an hour because you know. Everything's going so well. He's spending so much time lying about the project. He's, it's going. He's running uh, over time. Robert, he's working 50, 60-hour weeks. It's a travesty. Anyways, um, but the big news this week, too, is, you know, Foxconn's new CEO was going around um, about a month back or so uh, trying to make fun of the notion that somehow Foxconn wasn't serious about their investments and that all these buildings that they had been buying up uh, these innovation centers, uh, that they were empty, that that was a lie, and blah, blah, blah. Well, this week, 
the fine publication uh, that went and exposed the <laughs> exposed all the empty centers. Basically, did another article saying, "Well, you know what? They still haven't, and Were they've they got a whole another round." There's one in Eau Claire, right? The famous Were they Eau Claire one. That, on private property to get these pictures, Matt. Seriously, the the Eau Claire <laughs> one, I believe, was going to employ hundreds of people. I'm staring at an empty building. Um, it's just concrete pillars, and yeah, there's nothing here, not even close to uh, inhabitable. So. Nothing much really appears to be changing on Foxconn. The shell game keeps moving. So, Matt, you know, in the it, 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 back in the olden days, uh, Peter the Great, the Tsar of Russia, created fake villages to convince the Europeans Russia was prosperous and fr- brought to them true. It called them Potemkin villages. They were named after his his great like manager, uh, Potemkin. And so this is the, these are the, the Foxconn villages. They're all like fake. They're like buildings with signs on them and nothing on on the inside. So we're going to take a break. Uh, When we come back, we have another issue, state-level issue we want to talk about. Abortion's been a huge issue this week nationally, what's uh, been going on in uh, Alabama, also Missouri, but here in the state. Uh, Rebecca will have more on that when we get back. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. So we're talking about things happening in the state and... um, before the break, we mentioned that abortion has uh, been a huge issue uh, nationally, what's been going on in Alabama in terms of essentially passing what, what by all accounts of the Constitution that we believe is currently the law, we'll see what the Supreme Court has to say, uh, appears to be unconstitutional, has virtually no chance, but is going to test Roe. We've got Missouri, and then here in Wisconsin, Rebecca, this yeah. issue is also flaring up. So, so across the country, um, over the past week, um, you know, uh, anti-choice uh, zealots have really been making headway in news. And so, whether it was in Alabama and Georgia, we mentioned Missouri, Iowa, and and here in Wisconsin. And we should just note that in those southern states, you can still get an abortion in Alabama, and you can still get it, I think, in Georgia. Um, you know, the law has not yet gone into effect. And so I know advocates want to make sure that we're not scaring women away from not knowing what's, what's the truth right now in this moment and that you can donate to organizations. I was trying to find the the best organizations to donate to in Georgia. I can't find them, but I'm sure listeners can with a little research find them. But folks in Alabama, um, have been directing people to the yellow hammer fund, which helps women, um, get abortions in and out of the state of Alabama. But, um, yeah, this is designed, I think, to do a couple different things. One, obviously, to limit the bod- bodily autonomy of women. Two, to take it to the Supreme Court to challenge, you know, what is the law of the land with Roe v. Wade. Three, to polarize the electorate. Um, you know, as we saw, um, you know, even most recently in Wisconsin, we saw with the state Supreme Court race, but something that Republicans deem to be a really effective strategy. And four, I would say, um, I don't know about elsewhere, but certainly in the state of Wisconsin, to distract from what el- whatever else is going on. And so, you know, Democrats, um, whether they're people in the Ever- Evers administration or in the legislature, have been quick to point out that Republicans in Madison are advancing this um, born alive legislation uh, been advancing this legislation um, to distract from the fact that they're losing in the budget fight, which they are, right? I think they're losing on messaging, um, and I think they're scrambling. They're losing, you know, whether it's Kuyenga or other legislators who are g- coming a little soft um, in terms of the Republican majority. So they have advanced this bill, um, which uh, essentially would make it a felony with a punishment of life in prison on par with first-degree intentional murder, 
for um I guess for like a doctor or anyone to uh to terminate the life of a baby that happens to survive an abortion, which is something that even the anti-choice activists acknowledge doesn't really ever happen. I think there's like one case in 1982. I don't even know. That's right. Well, I yeah. think there was one Allegedly. in 82 reported. Wisconsin doesn't keep statistics, apparently. Minnesota does. They there's. I think nationally they report about 150. And these are incredibly tragic situations where... In many cases, the life of the mother is at serious risk. This is a last-minute kind of thing. is incredibly tragic. These are, in almost all cases, people who actually want their baby, and things have gone tragically wrong. This, and is... this is horrendous that they would do this for political purposes. That's all it is, as you have so well said. It's messaging one and one, one, and one. They want you to think about that. And by the way, it, people, the human mind, the way human mind works... You remember some shocking thing like that, whether it's true or not. In fact, we believe uh, shocking things from uncredible sources. There's really good science on this. And so they're just simply taking advantage of how the human mind works because the way we evolved, if there's something shocking, like there are lions hiding over, how, over in, that, in that pasture, it's good for you to remember that, right? But there isn't misinformation to the way we evolved like that, right? Uh, and so, look, I'm not as sanguine as mad is about the U.S. Supreme Court on this. Mm -hmm. Remember how the ACA thing went, right? Justice Roberts to the rescue, 5-4, but then he eviscerates the part that helps low-income people, Medicaid expansion. So does Justice Roberts step in and say, oh, this goes too far, but I'm I'm saying that in in order for me to overrule this decision and make it 5-4, I'm going to dramatically limit the access to abortion. Yeah, well, that to me is eviscerating row yeah. right like that right that's them doing what i think is changing the since constitution just to be blunt since they're republican yeah. appointees and they're not judges in any legitimate sense they're politicians in robes because you know how they're going to judge they're going to rule in favor of whatever republicans do what how is that a, a constitutional interpretation yeah. it's just not true of democratic appointments they rule against democrats all the time but we have to and journalism falls falls into this they have to be two equal sides while there really aren't in this case i think there are four votes to completely overturn roe and the other thing about the politics of this is it's interesting how they want to criminalize the doctor the only reason they don't want to criminalize women they don't say that politically. Remember, Trump happened into that and kind of said it, and they had to like correct him. It's simply because they think it would be highly unpopular. Oh, I'm sorry. The stories of people who go through this is the most horrifying stories you would ever want to hear, and the notion that anybody should have to tell them again, right? Just to like have to win this effing battle is appalling. So yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned uh, President Trump because you know, let's not forget that it was in Green Bay, when he was in Green Bay at his rally that he talked about this, um, you know, so-called born alive legislation. So this is like a, you know, very well-coordinated strategy. Um, It is like, as Robert mentioned, like designed to really stir up people's passions and get attention. Uh, You know, I think I'm remembering there's um, a really progressive, wonderful council member in New York, Brad Lander, just like a beautiful human being. And he had a tweet earlier this week where I don't know if you guys have heard of the group um, This Is War, Women's Health and Reproductive Rights. They kind of formed after the um, 2016 election. 
And his tweet was something along the lines of, you know, when um, This Is War founded, I thought their name was like over the top and too much. And now I realize that I was wrong. You know, I think like this is really like the whole thing here. Like this is what we're talking about. Um, and it is really shocking. So glad we got a chance to talk about it. The, oh, I should mention um, really quick that also in Wisconsin, another thing that the assembly passed was a bill that would prevent providers from accepting Medicaid funds um, if they provided abortions. And so, like, that's another thing that we have to keep an eye on. Um, sorry, but were you going to say you No, know, I agree. I was just going to add that it's right here, not just in Alabama. Yeah. So about four blocks from our office, I ride by it when I ride to work. There's a Planned Parenthood clinic that provides women's health services. Well, of course, when I rode, rode my bike, it wasn't, wasn't no thunderstorms two days ago. Uh, literally, they're all, there's this whole crowd of middle-aged men angry looking, holding up gross signs, you know, from the pro-life movement. Not a single young person, not a single woman there. This is, they're over there stalking out a health clinic. Okay. Yeah, and actually there are, um, now that you mentioned that, for folks who are listening in Milwaukee, there are like, maybe there are in other parts of the state, these really beautiful, mostly young people, but just people in general who volunteer to walk women Escort, into yeah. the center, the escorts, yeah, and they have um, very nice rainbow-colored vests. I think there's a new type of vest they have, but, you know, you should just... They, they stand there all day with people shouting obscenities at them. So if you see them, you're walking by, you know, tell them they're doing doing something oh, good. When we used to go to meetings when Planned Parenthood had their clinics and their offices combined, they don't anymore. Like the women that would be with you, they'd yell things, save the child, don't do it. It's just a woman going to a meeting, you know, just like a young woman who's of childbearing age. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, I think, you know, we'll see, um, you know, another thing that I would mention since we have a, another minute or two yeah. is um, a, a lot of activists uh, have been noting the links between, you know, obviously this is um, motivated by misogyny, but for many folks, it's also motivated by white supremacy. And there's like a real um, paranoid fever dream by white supremacist conservatives um, not all conservatives are white supremacists, but white supremacist conservatives, that um, the white birth rate is going down. And so people are really, so there are certain people who are really concerned about that. And it is motivating a lot of, of the activity on that side as well. So it, it's worth noting. And of course, you know, the people who are most impacted by restrictions on women's health are poor women and poor women of color. And I've noticed that the billboards you see around a lot of parts of Wisconsin, they're white babies, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. yeah. So before we go to break, um, this is related in terms of we're talking about this and a lot of this movement has to do with the changes on the Supreme Court in the sense of that there's opportunity uh, to change uh, some of the laws that is also happening here in the state, right? We've had our court now is definitely, I'll call it a Republican state Supreme Court. Um, and this week, we heard oral arguments were being heard on the a case uh, against the lame duck session. And it is just from list from reading and hearing some of the, the back and forth. It's this thing is toast, right? Like, it's just very clear how this Republican <laughs> conservative uh, Robert, speaking of that, the reporters, of course, have to dutifully call it conservatives. But like the reality is the, this is a Republican court that is going to rule in favor of the Republicans. It seems very clear from the way oral arguments Let, let me be very clear. The conserv alleged conservative justices are saying that the that power to have a lame duck session doesn't have to be in the state constitution. So it just, you know, they're whatever side is with Republicans. If the lame duck was done by Democrats, they'd be saying it was unconstitutional. Don't you, does anyone want to call in and doubt me on that or... 
email or anything that this is that these are politicians in robes? Yeah, yeah. No, and in this case is going to lay that to bear. Not that it others haven't, but it's so hyper partisan. So. With that, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the presidential. We've got, we've got some ideas. We've got something we want to do new with the show, and we want to talk a, going to be very briefly a little bit about how Wisconsin is just clearly going to be ground zero, and maybe, maybe we might be setting record turnout next year in 2020. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we need to talk politics 2020. A couple of very interesting uh, things that came out this week that I want to have set up a broader discussion. Um, that is the Republicans released, the state Republican Party released a report that did kind of an autopsy on their, their 2018 election. And they found, well, one, they're in debt, right? And, they, and they're getting that debt taken care of by Diane Hendricks. <laughs> and, the, and then two, that they, cons- they use consultants way too much that a lot of the debt was driven by just ridiculously large bills and that control of the, the campaign was basically given to largely to consultants and that there was very little effort to organize a field operation and really use the resources to energize and mobilize their base. And that is the reason they lost. And they are saying in 2020, they will not make the same mistake. They will compete uh, in the field. And uh, in particular, they'll compete in the field in some of these uh, suburban areas, particularly around Milwaukee, where uh, they just really had horrible uh, 2018. And certainly seem to do much better in these spring elections. So that's one uh, really important piece. The other big thing was uh, Guy Bolton had an article in the Journal Sentinel that essentially said, look, Wisconsin's got a shot here to have record turnout in 2020. That all of Guy Bolton, Craig Craig Gilbert, excuse me. I'm confusing the healthcare guy with the political guy. I apologize. They've both been there forever. They probably weren't they in the Sentinel? No, I'm just kidding. Anyways, uh, so uh, um, Craig Gilbert, great article essentially saying, right, we have all the, all the makings of beating 2004 in terms of the division in the country that we had back then, and then also what we saw in our most recent Supreme Court election, that turnout was incredibly high. Um, so uh, with that, just want to get folks' thoughts, and then, of course, before we finish, I do want to talk a little bit about the presidential and a new contest we're going to have. So... Uh, Huge opportunities here. Looking forward to 2020. I mean, I I guess I'll just say, and this isn't an original comment. I think that Robert might have said it um, off off screen. But if if only Democrats were as honest as the Republicans are being in terms of Uh, that's what I was gonna say. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah, (laughs) All right, it's out there. It's out there. I mean, it's (laughs) it's remarkable. um, You know, introspection and honesty. And I think you know what you know, listeners listeners might wonder, well, why are they doing this publicly? Well, there's a lot of really important legal reasons to do this publicly, right? If um for folks who don't know, if you are working on the candidate side or on the kind of like dark money independent expenditure side, you're not supposed to coordinate and, and strategize with each other. And if this is out there in the open, hey, this is what we did poorly last time, let's everybody see it, then everyone on both sides of, of what is called the wall um, of spending can be on the same page in terms of strategy. I mean, I think, you know, we 
I, as a as someone who's not originally from here, I find the Wisconsin capacity for Wisconsin nice to be like really incredible um, and face saving, um, you know, which is face saving is a really big thing here. I've noticed. <laughs> and I think if we could just pull away from that and stop trying to present our best face of here's all the things that we did great in, in this year. And, and wow, we really we really killed it. And I did a great job. And someone else says, well, I did a great job. And it's like, OK, we did some good things. But like, let's be honest about where we could improve. Um, and let's do that publicly and openly so that we can start organizing. This is actually because I don't usually praise Republicans and neither do you, Rebecca. They're actually better about this stuff. My understanding is is that consultants that blow elections and lose them actually lose influence and power in the Republican Party. On our side, national and state, you can lose election after election and uh, everything's papered over and everything was great and it was external circumstances, right, that, that caused it. I mean, where was the bloodletting over the Mary Burke campaign or the, or the Tom Barrett recall campaign, really, or even the Supreme Court campaign we just had where it was all TV and consultant-driven and no field, just like the Republicans are pointing out, right? So until we were able to do that, things won't change, and this is the danger. We've been, uh, we, un, we, we got lucky in, uh, in 2018 because we barely won that election, and we and underinvested in field. We didn't know how incompetent they were being. They won't be incompetent now because they actually had an honest conversation. Now, they some of this was legitimately leaked to the Journal Sentinel, so they'd meant to cleanse the report and not have it quite be this hard-hitting. But what they were going to put out is pretty hard-hitting. What Ron Johnson, their lone-standing statewide office holder, has been saying has been quite hard-hitting. Yeah, I mean, they're doing field right now. Yep. They're doing field. They are organizing. Americans for Prosperity is doing community organizing in these suburbs. Yep. So they were there in the spring and we and won there by now. making progress in the suburbs and, and they're doing it and we're doing it all volunteer, but there's no investment. We're just doing it at Citizen Action. They are going door to door. They are contacting their base. They're shoring up their base. They're doing it in the off year. So, you know, no one can claim that they don't know this. We all know it. So, you know, either either we're going to have a either we're going to elevate respect for organizing on the Democratic side. And we are going to invest in that and invest in field and and we're going to build up community power and volunteers or not. But that, like now is the time to do that. Yeah. And and it need, and the and it, the balance needs to go. And it's better to do it early and to build real sustainable capacity because that's the advantage we have over them. They have to pay for it. Right. But if we don't do that, that's really expensive just to try to run a big TV or big paid field canvases that are really expensive at the very end to catch up. That's way more expensive. Right. And let me be clear on their report and throwing the consultants under the bus. I don't know who they are. They know who those consultants are. Those consultants who ran up the big credit card debt and didn't had no discernible deliverables or 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 things they or or you know th things they were doing within the campaign. They know their names and, and it's going to damage their careers. That doesn't happen on the Democratic side. We're going to look forward now, particularly as it relates to the presidential. We spent some time last week talking about you know, this situation with Biden really officially jumping in and the dynamic really kind of reshifting in a way where Biden was polling nationally anywhere from 35 to 40 percent and uh, nobody else. In fact, the next running the, the next four or five yeah, combined yeah. behind him. Yeah. And so that's providing an interesting dynamic, particularly for progressives, since I think we accept that Biden is not, you know, certainly the progressive edge of the party. 
Um, and so there's a bunch of different candidates. And is there any way for any of those candidates to really gain traction if Biden stays in that area and how there were similarities to Wisconsin and where Tony Evers kind of got? Um, well, this week we got another candidate, Mayor Bill. Oh, we got two, actually. Didn't the Montana governor? We got another yeah, guy. Lord. Montana governor, I think, jumped in. And your best friend. <laughs> Mayor Bill is in the tallest politician in America. That's Everybody's been saying that. Well, <laughs> when when all the focus groups come back, we want the mayor of New York for president. <laughs> That's what they're saying in Eau Claire, right? No, um, I'm kidding. Before actually, they might be in Eau Claire. Maybe. Before Mayor De Blasio jumped in, um, Citizen Action Co-op member and Wisconsin <laughs> Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes put out a tweet that got some good traction that said we are now eight candidates shy of a Royal Rumble. Is anyone who's yes. a wrestling fan though understand I, that? Maybe Jonathan Brostoff can organize an <laughs> MMA fight with all of the candidates and the one who emerges. Yes. So now we're seven candidates. Shy of a Royal oh. Rumble. Um, By yeah. the way, SNL is going to be all over this. This, if yes. they were, if they actually, I don't think they're doing any live shows anymore. <laughs> Go. You know, I learned a long time ago to stop making predictions about how Mayor De Blasio is going to fare politically. He was, um, you know, in the in the race for New York City mayor, he was like at nine percent in the polls. He was like the last place candidate. I never thought in a million years he would win, and he won. So, you know, he's been he won. He won a re-election. Um, you know, the, the city of New York is unwieldy. They're, it's raucous. There are lots of people there who don't want him to run, according to polling and anecdotes. Um, but that's kind of New York for you. And just to, like, give a give like a little bit of note to scale. I mean, the city of New York has over 8 million people who live in it. Wisconsin, I think, has around 5 million. So, like, you know, he's he's got executive experience running a city of 8 million people for the last, I think it's like seven years. And he's done some really interesting things. And I think, like... The one positive you could say about having all these different candidates in the field, and I think I said it last week, is that we get all of these different policy ideas and discussions we may not have gotten. So like Julian Castro and his immigration plan and, and how varied it is in terms of domestic and international politics. You know, I don't think that we would have any of that in the field if, if he weren't running. And so, you know, maybe Mayor de Blasio will bring... Um, you know, a greater emphasis on things like universal pre-K or, or you know, the impact of climate change on cities like New York and how they're responding to it. Um, but it does seem to be like a, a long shot. Um, definitely another white guy in a field of quite quite a few white guys. Another B. We've got a lot of Bs. So I don't Beautiful. know. We'll see. Yeah. So, look, I'll I'll, get, I'll say one thing about Joe Biden, and that is I'm open to a Bobby Caddy like conversion. Bobby Caddy did not have a highly progressive career until in 68. He was on course before he was assassinated to be the most radical Democratic nominee in American history. So I see Biden doing that, uh, saying that he was wrong about the crime bill, wrong about the trade policies. Here I'm going to do about climate. That'd be great. Haven't seen anything like it yet. So I'll leave that. Aside from that, progressives need to consolidate around a candidate that can win this nomination because this is the best chance in history since Bobby Caddy to have an actual progressive candidate be the nominee and become president. And to do that, our modest little contribution here at the Battleground Wisconsin, we are going to start next week taking one of the Democratic candidates and using one of our 11-minute segments to talk deeper about them, to give a little policy background about what they might bring to the table, some positives, maybe some of our negatives. We might even horse race them a little bit. Um, so, and what we also would like to offer is to any of our listeners, a listener who supports that candidate to come on and be a part and 
and briefly tell us why they support that candidate to kick off the conversation. So next week, we are going to start with Elizabeth Warren. And so any of our listeners who are a fan of Elizabeth Warren, you are to email me and let me know that you want to be on the show. I can be reached at matt.brusky, B-R-U-S-K-Y, at citizenactionwi.org, and we'll have you on. I will select one to come on and tell us why you support Elizabeth Warren. So, again, we are the Battleground Wisconsin. We've got to wrap this one up. We want to thank Brian Woldridge, our producer, who makes it happen every week. We look forward to a conversation next week about Elizabeth Warren, and we'll see you next week.